Gospel of John, chapter 10, we continue on in our series through the Gospel of John. Last week we considered chapter 9 in its entirety. Today we'll consider verses 1 through 16 of John chapter 10. The Gospel of John, chapter 10, and please follow along as I read verses 1 through 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Let's pray once more together. Holy Spirit, please come now and make this hour to be profitable, to be helpful, and to be good for our never-dying souls. Let not a moment be wasted. Let not a word be wasted. Use this time to accomplish the work of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen. I want to start by expressing uh, gratitude to God for His providence. Uh, We began our series in the Gospel of John last August. At that time, we had no idea that we would be in chapter 10 today in April. Uh, This Sunday is a very special occasion for the life of our church, and next Sunday is a very special occasion as well for our church and every church uh, as we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And in God's providence, uh, this Sunday, as we look forward to ordaining two under-shepherds, I get to preach on verses 1 through 16 of John 10 where we learn about the Good Shepherd. And then next Sunday, when we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus in a special way, uh, I get to preach on verses 17 and 18, where Jesus says that I lay down my life that I may take it up again, and that I have this command from my Father. So that's all the fruit of the providence of God and not uh, any careful planning, at least not my careful planning. One of the major features of John's gospel, as we've noted before in this series, are the seven famous, what are called the I am statements. 
Each one is extraordinary. Each one is meant to communicate something about uh, who Jesus is, about his self-identity. And each one also tells us something about our connection to him by faith. So the first I am statement is found in John 6, verse 35. Uh, There the Lord Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus there says, uh, I'm like bread, nothing more basic, nothing more fundamental than bread. Bread formed the staple diet of the Jewish people. And Jesus is saying as fundamental and as basic as bread is to human life and existence, I'm like that. I must be like that to you if you're to have me by faith. And to have the Lord Jesus is, is a matter of tasting him, of taking him in, of having him by means of faith, faith that he supplies. The second I am statement is found in John 8 and verse 12, though it's repeated in a few other places in John's gospel. There in John 8 verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The idea is that Jesus, the Son of God, is shining on the world like the sun. He's the light of the world, and the people of the nations who dwell in great darkness are drawn to that light. And he exposes them to truth and righteousness and even draws them into the realm of truth and righteousness. And those who are his who walk in the light will know the truth and the truth will set them free. The third I am statement and the fourth I am statement are actually contained in John 10. In verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then in verse 11, we have the fourth I am statement. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Both of these statements have in view shepherd-sheep imagery. That imagery prevails in this passage, and the focus is on Jesus, who is the good shepherd, and on those who are his sheep, namely his disciples, namely believers like us. We're understood to be sheep of Jesus' flock of his pasture. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you know that shepherd-sheep imagery abounds. The most well-known psalm is Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters. Even if you don't know much about the Bible, you may know that famous King David was a shepherd before he was king, and we sometimes refer to him as the great uh, shepherd king. Of course, in Jesus' ministry, shepherd sheep imagery is used many times. Uh, In Luke 2, when the angels come, who do they come to? They come to shepherds watching their sheep by night. And then one of the main terms used to describe those who lead in the church is the word pastor, which literally means shepherd. Uh, So you really can't properly understand the Bible if you don't have an appreciation for the shepherd-sheep dynamic. You just can't escape that imagery. It abounds in the Bible, Uh, which puts us as 21st century Americans at a bit of a disadvantage because um, we have very few sheep here. Um, I'm guessing few of us know any Uh, shepherds. That's just not part of our culture. There are other places in the world where it's part of everyday culture. Uh, I'll just mention if you want to know more about uh, shepherds and sheep, you might consider talking to Mike Fischel. Uh, He was recently in England with his wife Megan, and I learned from Mike that he has a bit of a fascination with sheep and could just watch them for hours. So you can talk to Mike if you want to learn more about the inner dynamics of shepherd and sheep relationships. But everyone in Jesus' day would have had some experience with sheep. Uh, 
and with shepherds. It was just part of life. Uh, everyone would have known a shepherd, perhaps had a shepherd in the family. Uh, everyone would have had some access to sheep. It was just part of life. Uh, what I want us to appreciate is that uh, Jesus, when He seeks to reveal something about Himself and seeks to disclose to His people His nature and His character and His heart for His people, uh, it is His method of teaching to find these uh, very accessible, um, part of everyday sort of images and analogies. So, like we saw already, Jesus is the bread of life. Nothing more basic than bread. He's the light of the world. Everyone can understand what light is. And now he says, I'm the good shepherd. When he wants to find a metaphor to describe the intimacy and the tenderness and the warmth that he experiences in relationship with his people, he goes to the shepherd sheep imagery. That's what we have in John 10. I love John 10. And I am so glad it's in the Bible because of what it reveals to us about the tenderness and love that Jesus experiences in relationship with His sheep. So my goal this morning is to encourage you who are Christ's sheep to see what your Savior's heart toward you is really like. And to those who are not yet followers of Christ, I want to show you how Jesus treats His own. And I want to invite you to enter in and become part of His flock. I want to encourage those who are Christ's sheep to know Him and love Him better and to see His heart for you. And those who are not yet Christ's sheep, I want to invite you in. And I want you to see something about how Jesus treats His own. So here's the question we want to ask. What do these verses, John 10, 1 through 16, what do these verses tell us about the Good Shepherd? What do these verses tell us about the Good Shepherd? And I have six things I want us to see this morning. Number one, He calls His sheep and knows them by name. He calls his sheep and knows them by name. Please look with me at verses 2 and 3. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. All of Jesus' sheep, every member of his flock, are personally called by Jesus. They hear His voice in the gospel call, when the gospel is preached, and they recognize that voice as the voice of the shepherd. So when they hear Jesus say, come to me all you who thirst, they recognize that's the voice of the good shepherd, and they respond to that call. Uh, when they hear Jesus say, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, they can sense, they can tell, that's the voice of my Creator and my God and my Savior, and they respond to that call. Christ's sheep respond to the calling of the shepherd in the gospel call. But notice in this passage, especially in verse 3, this isn't just a general, unspecific call to an anonymous mass of people out of which particular ones will come. The call becomes very personal. Jesus says in verse 3, He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out, which I think means that every single one of the Lord's sheep individually, personally, is precious to Him. If you belong to the Good Shepherd, He knows you by name. You're not just part of some great mass of people that when brought together receive the goodwill of Jesus. 
You're not precious to Him by association. You are personally precious to Jesus, the Good Shepherd. If you are Christ's, He knows you by name. He knows on what day you were born. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows your beginning from your end. He knows your rising up and your lying down. He knows all the things about yourself that make you ashamed. He knows the deepest longings of your heart. He knows the things that are right now causing you fear and anxiety. He knows everything that has ever happened to you, and He knows everything that you have ever done. He knows your peculiar weaknesses and ailments and sicknesses. The shepherd of the flock knows which sheep are underfed. He knows that this one has a weak leg and this one is having trouble eating properly and that this one tends to stray a little bit further away from the rest of the flock. Jesus, the good shepherd, is intimately aware of the details of your condition. And he is personally invested in your welfare. If you are his sheep, he knows you by name and he calls to you by name. David said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Like, like he sees me, and he, he might see me straying, and he calls out by name, Alex, don't go over there. There aren't green pastures over there for you. Alex, don't stray that way. You'll get your leg caught in a thicket or fall down some hole somewhere. Come, I have better plans for you. He calls out to his sheep by name. What a profoundly encouraging thought to know that you are personally known and treasured by Jesus the Good Shepherd. He calls his own by name and he leads them out. That leads to the second thing we should see about the Good Shepherd. The second thing that we're told, we've seen he calls his sheep and knows them by name. Secondly, he leads and guides his sheep and they follow him. He leads and guides his sheep and they follow him. Verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Within the world of the metaphor, the shepherd is leading, and the sheep are following. And this is akin to discipleship. To be one of Jesus' sheep is to be a follower of the shepherd, to be a disciple of the master. Sheep are dependent upon the shepherd. They, they must follow him if they're going to be safe and if they're going to find the green pastures and still waters. Psalm 23 goes on to say, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Those instruments of guidance and direction, they're with me and they comfort me, David says. The idea is the shepherd doesn't just call out to the sheep by name. He is proactively guiding and leading them and directing them in the proper path. And then the text says he goes before them and they follow him. Notice there's no such thing as a sheep who doesn't follow the shepherd. Now I know I have belabored this point probably over the last few weeks, but it's just too important. We have to understand that by definition, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, to be born again, to be one of his sheep, means that you have an actual relationship with him by which you respond to him, by which you follow him, by which you're receptive to his leading in your life. Uh, the idea that, you know, 
uh, I could be saved but choose to follow Jesus at some later date is not some sort of idea that the Bible recognizes as legitimate, at least not for a disciple, not for one of his sheep. Uh, The testimony that says, you know, I became a Christian when I was eight years old, but really didn't start following Christ till I was 28. The Bible's perspective on that testimony is that you didn't become a Christian until you were 28. The sheep follow the shepherd. By definition, to be a disciple is to be a Christ follower, and we see that plainly in our text. Now notice what verse 4 goes on to say. He goes before them. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. What is it that is guiding the sheep? It's the voice of the shepherd. He's before them. He's calling out after them. Now, now sheep are very interesting animals. They're not like dogs. Like if I'm walking through my neighborhood and I see any dog in my neighborhood and I whistle and clap my hands, odd, odds are that dog is going to come and run up to me, right? Sheep are not that way. I've actually seen this worked out. There could be a flock of sheep and I could stand there and call out to them and try to get them to come and they wouldn't come. But when the shepherd comes and he calls out, they respond. See, sheep are very sensitive to the tonal qualities of the human voice. They hear a particular voice, a distinct voice, and it's only that voice that they will respond to. That's the image that Jesus is using here. My sheep know my voice, and it's that voice that they respond to. That's the voice that is guiding the sheep. Now I ask you, let's transcend the metaphor for a moment. Where today do we find the voice of the shepherd? If we want to hear our shepherd's voice leading and guiding us, where can we find it? It's nowhere else than in the Scriptures, in the Bible. There, the voice of God is known. There, the voice of God is heard. We hear Jesus calling out to us. Don't expect to be guided, to be led by any other way. If you want the paths of righteousness and the green pastures and the still waters, go to God's Word And there find the voice of the shepherd and you will have guidance and you will have direction. Is it any wonder uh, some people seem to go through life, some Christians, and they just seem so stable and they just seem so equipped and they just seem so reliable and they seem so full of grace and full of faith and full of truth. Is it any wonder that those people are usually those people who are most familiar with the voice of the shepherd? Those who are most familiar with his voice, who know his voice, can discern his voice, hear his voice, they walk with stability. They walk through life with greater grace and greater faith. Your progress in the Christian life will not outstrip your progress in knowing and recognizing the voice of the shepherd through God's Word. We have no other place to go if we wish to be guided by Jesus, the Good Shepherd. So we should come to God's Word every day asking the shepherd to guide and lead us by his voice. And we should come into worship with the same posture. Now thirdly, third thing we learn about the good shepherd. The good shepherd thirdly lays down his life for the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now again, in the world of the metaphor, it was certainly true that shepherds might lay down their lives in any number of ways for their sheep. The death of the shepherd was probably very rare, probably not a normal occurrence. 
but they did in different ways, regularly sacrifice themselves for the good of the sheep. They did this through giving their lives to care for the sheep, giving their time. They also protected the sheep from attack and occasionally would have to fend off uh, wolves and other predators. If a sheep was caught in a thicket or in rushing water, the uh, shepherd might uh, intervene and interpose himself to save the sheep from that situation. That said, with this statement in verse 11, that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, I think actually transcends the metaphor. Jesus is referring here to his sacrificial death on the cross for his sheep. This is the distinguishing mark, the penultimate mark of the good shepherd. This is Jesus once again signaling to the Jews and to his followers that he will give up his life for his people. Now, he's not talked a lot about this yet in the Gospel of John. We saw back in John 6, Jesus says he's the bread of life, and he says that the bread that he will give for the life of the world is his flesh, sort of a a veiled prophetic word that he will die. This will cost him his life, his flesh. Here it becomes a little more explicit, and it will become much more explicit in the next two chapters. But here he's saying this good shepherd He will lay down his life for the sheep. The idea is substitution, sacrifice, standing in the way of harm and standing in the way of all that would destroy his people. He gives himself up so that the flock might rest peacefully and might be kept safe from harm. This is the defining trait of the good shepherd. Jesus is not a good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And that word good can be translated noble the noble shepherd, the true shepherd. This is what makes him the good shepherd, the noble shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. And this laying down of his life will come to expression in his going to the cross to die for the sins of his people, of his sheep. If you belong to Jesus, if you're part of his flock, you are safe only because the shepherd has laid down his life for you. We're going to talk a lot more about this next week. Talk what happens afterwards, so we should move on for now. Let's consider now, fourthly, the fourth thing we learn about the Good Shepherd. We've seen that He calls His sheep and knows them by name. He leads and guides His sheep, and they follow Him. He lays down His life for the sheep. Now, fourthly, He stands in contrast to the false shepherds. He stands in contrast to the false shepherds. Look with me at verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I mentioned that shepherd-sheep imagery abounds in the Bible. There's a lot of Old Testament background to this passage in John 10. I think the most explicit text, and if Jesus hearers were familiar with the Old Testament. The text that would come to mind would be found in Ezekiel chapter 34. And I'd like to read some verses from Ezekiel 34. There in Ezekiel 34, the Lord rebukes the false shepherds of Israel. He rebukes them. He says He's going to come and He's going to judge them and He's going to take the flock from them. So I want to read Ezekiel 34 verses 1 through 6. You can just listen as I read. The word of the Lord came to me, and these are the words of the Lord. 
Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Then in verse 10, this is what the Lord says. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. The Lord is talking in this passage about the hired hands. He's talking about the imposters, about the false shepherds. And surely, the Pharisees and the chief priests fall under this category. The self-professed shepherds and leaders of the flock of Israel. They're hired hands, they're imposters, they're frauds, they're false shepherds. That's who this passage has in view. But listen to what Ezekiel 34 goes on to say. In verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. Listen to the good shepherd, verse 14. I will feed them with good pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. The Lord is saying, I'm going to judge the false shepherds, and I myself will come to them as the true shepherd. And I'll go after those who stray. I'll go after the weak. I'll go after those who are unwell. And I won't harm the flock. Rather, I will tend and care the flock. That is the nature of the true shepherd, the good shepherd, the noble Shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep. He's not like the imposters. He's not like the hired hands. He does not abandon the sheep. He doesn't fleece them and profit off their backs. He doesn't see the wolf coming and then leave the flock. He feeds his sheep and cares for them. Now, if you were with us last week, you remember the story of the man born blind in John 9. Uh, he's a blind beggar at the temple gate. As far as we can tell, not a friend in the world. Jesus gives him his sight and heals him miraculously. And ironically, things only get worse for him at that point. There are no friends that come to his defense. His parents totally abandon him when they themselves are threatened to be put out of the synagogue. They step away from their son and say, talk to him. We can't really deal with this. 
And then what do the Pharisees do, the self-professed shepherds of the flock of Israel? Well, they interrogate him, they abuse him, and then they put him out of the synagogue. He's a castaway. And then what does Jesus do? It says, when he heard this, he found him. Same word that's used in Matthew and in Luke to describe when Jesus goes after the one sheep who's away from the 99, he finds that sheep. And now in this passage in John 10, which as far as I can tell is just a continuation on from John 9, Jesus is saying, I'm not like that. I'm not like those shepherds. And I didn't send those men. Those men are imposters. Those men are frauds. Those men are false shepherds. They are not my ambassadors, and they don't represent my heart. I am not like that. I care for my sheep. I love my sheep. I want my sheep to be in the most tender and warm relationship with me. And when I see one straying, I go after that sheep. When this blind beggar is cast out from his family and from his social group, I go after him, and I find him. That's the nature of the good shepherd. He comes and cares for the sheep. He comes in contrast to the imposters and to the false shepherds. Now, it's at this point that I want to draw a parallel to our context, our context today. All pastors today, all pastors are disappointing on some level or another. None of us lives up to the perfection of the good shepherd, but I'm not thinking now of good pastors who sometimes fail us. I'm thinking of so-called pastors who are not actually called of God, some who are even bad men. They are imposters. They're frauds. They're hired hands. They care more about themselves and their careers and their personal gain off the sheep than they do for the sheep themselves. Now, if you have experienced spiritual abuse at the hands of such men, of such self-professed shepherds, I'm sorry. That is not how it should be. And I have the privilege of telling you the Lord Jesus is nothing like that. The good shepherd stands in contrast to the hired hands, to the imposters, to the frauds, to the false shepherds. Spiritual abuse at the hands of such men can be so damaging because people can confuse such men as representing the good shepherd. I want to make clear to you, those men do not represent him. There are such a thing as false shepherds. There are such a thing as hired hands, and they're not at all like the Lord Jesus. Let the failings of those men serve only as a very dark backdrop by which the light of the goodness of the great shepherd shines. And thank Jesus that he is nothing like those men and those false shepherds. Now please consider with me fifthly. Fifthly, what do we learn about the good shepherd? He possesses the most intimate relationship with his sheep. He possesses the most intimate relationship with his sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, 
Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The relationship between the sheep and the shepherd, between us and Christ, is compared to the relationship between the Father and the Son. There is no comparison that would allow for more profound thoughts of intimacy with Christ than this. Jesus intends to relate to us on terms of deepest intimacy. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Now there's actually a monumental mistake we can make here. Uh, We can say, you know, we as sheep are so far below the status of the shepherd and we're being compared to the Father and the Son and therefore the Son must be so far below the Father in terms of power and rank and dignity and all of that. Okay, that would be a terrible mistake. That would be like a heresy kind of mistake. Okay, we don't want to make that mistake. I think the idea is, is more this, that the Son is willing to know us and relate to us in terms of intimacy that are comparable to the intimacy shared between the Father and the Son. And this has the effect of dignifying the sheep and of ascribing to them a privilege to which they were not entitled. See, the Son has equality with God. He says, I and the Father are one. We don't have that sort of equality with Jesus, and yet He is willing to relate to us on the same terms of intimacy as He relates to His Father. That is a grand thought. Like a blow-my-mind, melt-my-heart, kind of thought. Listen, Jesus' intentions for you and for Him is that you experience the deepest intimacy with Him, and that your relationship abound with Him in all knowledge. He wants to be close to His sheep. He wants to invite them into communion, into fellowship, into knowledge, into intimacy. There's, there's no comparison that could be given that could better express that point. As I know the Father, And as the Father knows me, so I want to know you and be known by you. Jesus has large intentions for your relationship with him. Large intentions. He wants to know you thoroughly. And more than that, he invites you to know him thoroughly and intimately. And that is a precious thought. Now please consider with me, sixthly and finally, I'll just review for those of you taking notes. We considered first that the good shepherd calls his sheep and knows them by name. Secondly, he leads and guides his sheep and they follow him. Thirdly, he lays down his life for the sheep. Fourthly, he stands in contrast to false shepherds. Fifthly, he possesses the most intimate relationship with his sheep. And sixthly and finally, he is perpetually drawing other sheep into his fold. He is perpetually drawing other sheep into his fold. And I'm working with verse 16 here. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. That verse is on the grave of David Livingston in Westminster Abbey, the great missionary to Africa. I have sheep who are not of this fold. And I must bring them also. You realize that Jesus is gathering a flock. He's gathering a people. 
And it started with his disciples, and it came to encompass more of the Jews, and eventually the Samaritans and people all over the empire. And he is still gathering his sheep today. Like right now in this room, Jesus is gathering his sheep, and he's doing it all over the globe. I've got sheep that are not of this fold, Jesus says, and I have to find them. He never intended the flock to be limited to this small band of disciples. He intended the limits of his flock to be commensurate with the uttermost parts of the world. And so he is now drawing sheep from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation and bringing them into his flock that there might be one flock and one shepherd. And he's calling out even now to sheep, calling them each by name and seeking to draw them into the most intimate relationship with him. And I just ask you, is he calling out to you now? Do you hear the voice of the shepherd saying, come to me. Come, O sinner, come home. You who are weary, come home. Do you see how he would treat you if you would come to him? Do you say back to him that I I want that. I want a relationship with such a one as this. He says to you, I can make you safe. I can make you well. I can bring you into green pastures and still waters I can give you life, and I can give it to you abundantly. Do you hear the voice of the shepherd calling to you this morning? I didn't read from verses 7 through 10. I haven't looked at those verses yet, and that was intentional. I'll mention them now, verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Look at verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and will go in and out. And find pasture. Here's the point. If you want the green pastures, and if you want the still waters, and if you want the abundant life, and if you want to experience the tender love and care of the Good Shepherd, there's only one way to have it. You have to go through the door. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The thief is, is whatever would keep you from coming to Jesus, whether it's the drugs that you're taking or the idols that you're making or some relationship that you don't want to give up. That's the thief. And listen, the thief will only kill and destroy you. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly, that you may have full life free life, that you might have abundant life. There is a door that you can open. There's a way to enter into all this blessing. There's a way to have life and have it abundantly. That way is Jesus. You say, I want to be His. I want to have life. I want to be saved. I want to belong to Him. All you must do is go to Him and say to Him that you believe in Him that you hear His voice and you want to follow Him and that you are trusting Him to save you from your sins and then you simply start following the shepherd. Live in this abundant life. I want to close by bringing into this text an issue that is not in this text. I can do that because I'm telling you up front I'm doing that. Okay, you understand this is not what this text is about. I'm bringing in something else. One of the ways that Jesus cares for his flock practically 
and accomplishes for them the things that he talks about in John 10 is by providing them with faithful under-shepherds. That's his will. That's exactly what Jesus, the good shepherd, does. In passages like Ephesians 4, Christ, the risen Christ, gives gifts to men like the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor-teachers. The good shepherd has designed to care for his sheep in part by giving to his sheep, by giving to his flock, under-shepherds. The good shepherd, out of the abundance of his kindness and shepherding care, gives under-shepherds to his church who are to be like him. And so there's two things I want to say about under-shepherds. Number one, true shepherds, true under-shepherds, should imitate Jesus, the good shepherd. Jesus is the paradigm for good shepherding. Like, he's the example. He's the model. And so now I want to say something only to you, Ben, and to you, Lai Chao, and I want to do it in the presence of this congregation. Ben and Lai Chao, remember the words of the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter 5. I'll read verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, listen, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, not like the hired hands, but being examples to the flock, not domineering over those in your charge. And listen, and when the chief shepherd appears, the good shepherd, the noble shepherd, when the chief shepherd appears, you, Ben and Lai Chao, will receive the unfading crown of glory. What could be better than that? So Lai Chao and Ben, I call you to imitate the good shepherd. And I want to encourage you along these six points. Number one, know your sheep by name and acquaint yourselves with the details of their lives and of their condition. Number two, seek to lead and guide the sheep. Show them the path of righteousness. Guide them into green pastures and still waters. Number three, be under shepherds who are willing to lay down your lives for the sheep to fend off the wolves, to come between the sheep and harm, to run after those who stray, to bind up the weak and to minister to the sick. Give long nights to praying over your flock. Sacrifice your time for their good. Lay down your lives for the sheep in imitation of the Lord Jesus. Number four, stand in contrast to false shepherds. Don't ever behave like a hired hand. There will always be the temptation to use people for your own gain. Don't do it. That's not what shepherds do. Moreover, that's not what Jesus is like. Commend to your sheep, to your faithful testimony, the example of the good shepherd who selflessly cares for his flock. Number five, develop intimate bonds with the sheep. Know them. Know them. And let your love for them abound in knowledge. Listen, open your hearts to them. Make it easy for them to open their hearts to you. 
Number six, engage yourself in the work of drawing other sheep into the fold. Do the work of an evangelist. As Jesus prays in John 17 for those who will believe through the word of the apostles, go to such people and be the means by which that prayer is answered. I challenge Ben, imitate the good shepherd and give yourselves to commending his example to this flock. And I say to this flock, help these men in their work. Pray for them, support them, honor them. Listen, there are few things sweeter in life than being cared for by true-hearted shepherds. Few things in life that are sweeter than that. Well, give these men to the Lord, commend them to Christ, pray for them, support them, love them. And may God always give such men to this church. But now I want to say something more important about under-shepherds to this whole assembly. Secondly, remember that under-shepherds can never replace Jesus the good shepherd. Under-shepherds can never replace Jesus the good shepherd. They are at their best pale reflections of the master. Remember, even good and faithful pastors will disappoint you. Always remember this, men by definition fail. It's not like some men fail. It's not like it's possible for men to fail, but really the good ones don't. Men by definition fail. Your pastors will fail you and disappoint you at times. But listen, in the grandest scheme of things, that's okay because they're not your savior. They're not the good shepherd who never fails. They're not the chief shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and who secures for them eternal life. Listen, your pastors can preach to you. They can pray for you. They can counsel you. They can hold your hand in your dying day, but they cannot die on the cross for your sins for you. Only the good shepherd can do that. Let's pray together.